thank the Lord. Amen. I am really um, excited to share this with you today, and I, I guess I am normally excited. I'm thankful for the opportunities to to uh, share the Word of God together, and um, I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Romans in the 8th chapter. I would say that most of you, if not all of you, can quote much of Romans, the 8th chapter, because of uh, memory. How many would say there's several verses in there that, you know, all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to His purpose? Uh, well, everybody knows that verse. A lot of the world knows that verse. Uh, I, I want to touch a, a scripture tonight, a thought, actually, out of this chapter that uh, it, it, it really spoke to me um, I think it was two weeks ago. I had planned on speaking. Actually, I was going to talk about Christmas because we don't so I can't celebrate Christmas. I'm not a Catholic, so I can't. Sorry, you're going to have to forgive me. I'm not a Catholic. I can't do the mass and uh, I don't celebrate any Catholic holidays, but we do love getting together with our families and, uh, and let them know that we love them. Amen. So we look forward to that. But I'd plan on talking about the birth of Christ and kind of going back through that. It's been a few years since we've done that. And I thought, well, it was timely, but I guess we'll have to wait till the Feast of Tabernacles in September when he was actually born, and we'll talk about it then. Dad's thinking about doing a nativity next year, right out in the parking lot in September. Yeah, no, really, like an actual Tower of the Flock, and, and like actually, we'll, we'll talk about when Jesus was actually born. It makes sense, talk about when he was actually born, what that looked like. But so something's happened to me, and I know we're all home folk here, and I'm going to say a disclaimer just because per chance somebody might hear this online, I want them to have an open heart. But something's happened to me, and I think probably all of you, is that uh, as I have pursued Christ in the Scripture, that for almost 28 years now, we've been on this journey, many of you, most of that time with us, on this journey to try to find Him, to find His revelation. We're not up here to, to just put in time this afternoon. I'm not going to try to be long. But at the same time, I really feel like I, I want to I give you something to think about that God's really been working in me. But we're trying to find his revelation. We're trying to find uh, his manifestation. And I've discovered from time to time that there are some things that I once fully understood that now I am not very certain about anymore. How many of you older people who've been in the way for a while can say that? There are some things that I once fully understood, I 100% believed, that now I look at and I go... You know, I'm not nearly as certain about that as I, as I once was. And um, as I've become, <coughs> I've become more certain of this, though, that the emphasis of all the Scripture is about Jesus. All of it. 100% of it is about Jesus. And, it's, and I've become a lot less certain about the dogmas and the doctrines. I can think back to when I was 18 years old and I started doing minister's credential licensing, going through the process of reading all of the books that I had to read and filling out the, the questionnaires, the uh, workbooks, um, establishing what I knew and what I believed and, and thinking back to that this week, how much I don't believe any of that anymore. <laughs> I'm a lot less certain of the dogmas and the doctrines and the evidences that have nothing to do with him. And now I have to add Romans 8 into this category. I'm going to deal with it passage of scripture that um, I once believed that this 26th verse of the 8th chapter of Romans was proof positive of a heavenly spiritual language and the Lord has opened my eyes to something new. Can I share that with you today? How many are say, okay, I'm open hearted. And I know y'all are. That's why you're here. Um, but in order for us to ever grow, in order for us to ever grow beyond just, just standard orthodoxy and for us to find Christ in the Scripture, there's a couple things I think we have to do. We have to forget doctrine for doctrine's sake and be willing to see what it is He's trying to show us. We have to search the Scriptures for ourselves. And, and we have to know that none of us hold all truth. And to that, we should all say amen. None of us hold all truth. We only walk in the light that we have. We only see what we can. But what I believe is so beautiful, and I'm thankful for what, my dad has done for so many years. And again today, uh, every time, uh, you know, he, he begins to speak and, and it's, just, it's just a little piece. Have you noticed that often it's just a little thought? It's not 
It's not this huge revelatory one thought, like, oh my goodness, that one, that, that whole thing was a thought that I got to think about. It's just often one thing, one little, one more piece to add to the puzzle. And, um, and, and all of this is true. And I want to say this before we start this afternoon, and that is that I am not against speaking in tongues. Can everybody say amen? That was not everybody. We are a church body. Everybody say amen. Um, but I believe it has to be gifted by the Lord for a purpose. So we don't focus on that around here. This is not what we are pushing. But um, I want to look at the 18th verse of this chapter. And let's just, let's just dive into this. Uh, 18th verse. I'm going to read down to the 27th verse. I want you to follow along with me. You may have some questions after this is all done. And I'm hoping it will spark some uh, interest in your heart to study, talk with me, talk with dad. Um, but the, the apostle writing to the Roman church says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now I want you to pay attention to that line, which shall be revealed. I'm going to go back through this and kind of break down these verses here in a few minutes. But I just want you to, to think, what, what is going to be revealed? What's, what's the expectation that is going to be revealed? And, and he's going to spell that out. For the earnest expectation of creation waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then we do this with patience, wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh interception for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Jesus, I pray that you would help me today. Lord, help me to, to give what you have put in my heart. It has been enlightening to me. It has encouraged me so much in the last couple of weeks. And I just pray that you would encourage our group here today, this body, with your word, Jesus. And we give you all the glory. And everybody say amen. So Pentecostal theology has interpreted verse 26 in this way. Okay? This is not my theology. Pentecostal theology. I, I really don't care whether you're apostolic or whether you're Trinitarian Pentecostal. Pretty much this is what this has been interpreted. That the Holy Ghost makes intercession to God on our behalf. The Holy Ghost prays through us in tongues, a heavenly language, to talk to God at a deeper level than we have the ability to do. Makes intercession to God on, on our behalf because the devil can hear your prayers if you speak them in English or Spanish or any other language. And he is just waiting to hear you pray them so that he can do the exact opposite than what you just asked God for. Anybody heard something along those lines? If not that exact thing? I want you to think like Apple encryption on your text messages. So when you send, if all of you have iPhones, good. The rest of you need to get saved. When you send the, the message on the Apple and it's blue, it means it's encrypted and there's no way anybody can figure out what you just sent. Verse 26. That's what it means, according to Pentecostal theology. But when you pray in the Holy Ghost, a heavenly language, the devil can't understand what you are saying, so your prayers are safe and you get what you want because the devil doesn't know how to stop it. This is literally, and y'all chuckled because 
How many of you have heard something along those lines through the years? Raise your hand just so I can see. And the rest of you have heard it. You're just afraid to raise your hand. You got BO or something. I don't know. We've all heard this. This is what we have been told. Is that the, that the, the Spirit is there to pray for us because we need that help and it's a secret language that, that talks to God that the devil can't hear. And I thought of... Shane and Coop's favorite song, The Devil's in a Phone Booth, dial in 911. That kind of a thought is going on here. Uh, can I suggest to you that that's not at all scriptural? I mean, not even the tiniest little bit of that is scriptural. And really, there is no evidence of any of this outside of this scripture. There is no evidence for any of what I just said. It's just the belief, accepted belief, doctrine, dogma of Pentecostalism. That's what is believed. So I'm going to break down this passage, and I, and I think context is so important when we're trying to understand Scripture. So are we ready to do a little um, Sunday afternoon nap, preview, preview to the nap, because everybody's tired, you ate lunch, it's what happens to all of us. Carrie and I, we leave it every time, I'm like, man, I ate, and I sat there, and I'm like, Ooh, a little, little nap coming on. Well, we'll get that when you get home. I want you to think about something. I want you to open your brain and think for a minute. See the context of what's happening here. So verse 19, verse 20, and verse 21. Let's put these three together. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature or the creation was not made subject to vanity willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same to hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Of God. There is one main subject of those three verses, and that subject is about children. Everybody say children. The sons of God, which also by extension would be the daughters of God. But God always dealing with the man first. That's how God does things. I'm sorry, but that's just how God does it. And so there is a focus of these three verses, the focus of this whole chapter. And what you're going to see here is about the manifestation of the sons of God. This is the emphasis and specific emphasis of the, this text that we just read. That, that there is a pressure, there is an expectation within creation, an anticipation within creation of what? The manifestation of the sons of God. The, what does manifestation mean here? It means to reveal, to make clear, to open up, to let it be seen. What was all of this about? God set out from the beginning with one thing in mind. From the very beginning, from Genesis 1, God had one thing in mind. Planned parenthood. The libs have hijacked this thought and made it a cover for killing children. When in fact, it's the, it, that, that very word can't be for abortion because parenthood is not about eliminating children. It's about creating children. But this is God's plan from the outset. When you look at Genesis 1, all you need to think about is God's plan for parenthood. He is, he is producing a system in which his sons and daughters can be manifested. And before they are ever manifested, he himself is going to manifest as a son in order to create the, the access or the portal, the, the opportunity to become sons and daughters of God. He's going to do that himself. So he set out from the beginning. God's original intent from the beginning of creation was that there would be a manifestation of the sons of God. Since we could never become like him, he became like us and adopted us as children. This was God's original intent. Look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Pay attention to this word groan or groaneth. In the 26th verse, they want to, Pentecostal theologians, want to take the 26th verse, let me just read it to you really, really quick. But the Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I'm going to get to that in a minute. The same verse, they want to say the same word means to speak in heavenly languages. 
That's what it's always used for. Everybody say amen. Okay. Are we to suppose that the whole of creation speaks in tongues and travails in pain until now? Is that what the 22nd verse is saying? Absolutely 100% not. That, that would make no sense even in the context. That is not at all what is being said, but that there is a groan, which really means, it, it, it even couples the definition together with this. It means to travail. It, it's as a woman who is getting ready to be delivered of child, and it's not the screaming, you idiot, why did you do this to me? That's not the groaning that's being talked about here. It is the pressure It's not an audible groan. It's the pressure that is developing. Now, I don't understand this because I've never given birth to a child, but all you mothers can testify to this, that there's a pressure that begins to build with inside of you and an anticipation that you are ready to be delivered of this baby. And everything within you says, I'm done. Right, women? Am I okay with that? I'm done. I'm done being pregnant. For some of you, you got a little bit more to go. Don't get there yet. I'm done being pregnant. I, there is, a, there is a, a groaning within me. It's not coming out of my mouth. It's a pressure within me, an anticipation for the joy of the man-child coming. That, yeah, I don't want to deal with this, but this is going to be rough. But if I can get through this, there's joy on the other side of it. But that anticipation is building, and this is exactly... What the apostle says is happening. For we know that the whole of creation is pressured up, waiting for the travailing, the manifestation of the children of God. It's as though everything that has been created will be for nothing if sons are not born out of this. Everything that God has done will not matter. It will not amount to anything if children are not developed by the system He created. This is why Satan loves abortion and why God loves be fruitful and multiply. Two different thought processes. Satan is always trying to stop the plan of God. God's plan, though, not just... And, and, and obviously, we can see this in, in this natural sense of procreation, of, of multiplication of children. But really what we're seeing here, what the apostle is talking to in Romans 8, is this spiritual birthing of sons and daughters that's coming. So the groan is not audible, but internal. It's not something that we hear. It's something that is being felt. A rumbling. A working up. Look at verse 23. And not only they, not only creation, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Again, if this word means to speak in tongues... We're speaking in tongues within ourselves? That is not at all what this... there's There's no context to even try to throw that into this idea. So again, remove that out and let's just look at the text. But we ourselves groan within ourselves. Why? Why are we groaning? Why is there a pressure? What is the anticipation about? What's the building process happening? The boiling point... The tea that's boiling on the stove and it finally gets to the point where it goes, whoop, because it's done. What is that all about? The manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. That's what this is about. Waiting for the adoption. The boiling point is that there is always a pressure awaiting that that God is going to bring in sons and daughters. It's always a growing pressure within all of creation and within us. And that pressure cannot be fulfilled. It cannot be relieved. It cannot be popped and the pressure released without the adoption that needs to happen within our lives to word Him. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what A man seeth, why does he need to hope for it? But if we hope for that which we see not, then we do with patience wait for it. We're waiting for the adoption. Here we see it again. The focus of this passage. We've read several verses here, starting in the 18th verse, and we have not moved one iota away from the the subject or the, the, the focus, the subject of this passage, which is what? The manifestation 
of the sons of God. That God is going to produce sons. Still the subject. Still the focus. And this anticipation, this expectation, this manifestation is what we are hoping for. He said hope keeps us alive. It's hope that allows us to, to function and to move on. People without hope are hopeless. But it's this very thought that there is an opportunity for sonship and for us to become the children of God that gives us life. This is the thing that we hope. This hope is the pressure. It is the groaning. It is the expectation of our lives. There are two things that keep us, I believe, walking in the, in the path, in the direction that God wants for our lives. The first is hope. It, it's things that we cannot see. It's not visible. Because if we're looking at everything that's visible, the scripture says we walk by Faith and not by sight. And, and, and the apostle just said here, if you can see it, then you don't need to hope for it. The fact that you can't see it is what makes you need to hope for it. And the truth is, there is no way, I, I'm going to get to this in a second, but there's no way that you can even see yourself possibly being a son or a daughter of God. It's not even possible for us to imagine this, this uh, happening in our lives. But it's hope. And it's hope because he promised it. It's hope because he said it. It's hope because he's the one who spoke of it. Not because we deserved it, earned it, uh, manipulated it, uh, did enough works to make it happen. N none of that. But because the word of God, because he spoke this and it's true. And the second thing, hope keeps us alive. But it is his spirit that guides us into the truth. We can hope for a lot of things that are not, that are not spiritually right. We can hope for things to happen that are outside of the will of God. Can anybody admit here that you've hoped for some things that were not in the will of God? Hope is not enough. The Spirit comes along because we need His Spirit to guide us to hope for the right things. If we don't have His Spirit, we're going to hope for a lot of things that are not, not what He wants for our lives. So this is where verse 26 picks up. Now I'm going to break down verse 26 more specifically. First, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. The Spirit, you could, you could transliterate this, or retranslate this to say this. The Spirit supplies help that exactly corresponds to your need. How many are thankful that the Spirit of God supplies help that corresponds with your need? With your asthenias, your weaknesses. God's Spirit is there to come along and to minister where I am weak. But a very specific condition in which the Apostle says he's going to come along and minister. Help your weakness. Provide where you exactly need it. There's a very specific place that the Apostle says he's going to do this. He's not doing it. When you're sick, that's not what it's talking about. All of us have had, spirit, uh, had a little physical sickness going around the last few weeks, and so we needed some physical touch in our bodies. That's not what the apostle's talking about. We, we all, at times, need some, uh, some direction and, and choices we got to make on what job to take or what car to buy or what house. That's not what the apostle's talking about. We need help with finances, and we say, Lord, I don't know what to do. And the scripture says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, does not withhold. That's not what the apostle's talking about. But very specifically, he says, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, our infirmities. Here it is. Here's where he helps you. You ready for it? For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. That's it. There it is. We're over here and we're saying, God, I need help here. I need help here. I need help here. I need help here. And God's saying, you don't need help there. You're asking for things wrong. 
James chapter 4 and verse 2 says, You lust and you have not. You kill and you desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war and yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lusts. Do you need help praying? Yes. Yes, you do. Did the Apostle Paul need help praying? Oh, I think so. You can see evidence of this when he says, I went to the Lord three times and I begged him that he would remove the thorn in my flesh. And God's response was, you are praying the wrong thing. You don't need the thorn gone. You need grace. It's what God said. You don't need me to fix this. You need me to fix this. The problem is we get all kinds of ideas about how we think that God needs to work within us. We are prone to asking God for what we want to fix and what we do not like. And his spirit is saying, I'm going to work in your will. That's what I'm here to do. We're asking God for all kinds of things that are outside of his will and then wondering why he will not do them. And at the same time, this same group of people that is doing this are running around praying in tongues, believing that their holiness is is providing answer to their need. They are attaching what they are doing. They're attaching their good works and their, and their holy behavior and their conduct and, and the fact that they went down and, uh, and, and prayed through again or were baptized or wore specific things. And they literally will attach this idea that because I did this, now I will receive the answer from God. That the more holy that I become, the more separate I become, it, it, it provides that God will answer for me what I want. And I'm telling you today that there is not a single thing that you can do to get God to respond to you. None. Except for obey Him. That's it. It's the only one. Just getting Him to, to, to believe somehow that we can, we can produce this by how we act. And so the Spirit is there to help your infirmity. Why don't you just say that to your husband, your wife, your neighbor sitting there. Say, the Spirit is there to help your infirmities. And you know why you need it? Because you don't know how to pray. That's what the apostle said. Are you willing to say that to your spouse? You don't know how to pray. That's the problem here. The problem in our home is you don't know how to pray. The problem in the church is you don't know how to pray. The problem why the kingdom of God is not advancing is because you don't know how to pray. Because you're praying for things that God says, I'm not giving them to you because that's about you and I'm trying to make you about me. And we're saying, Lord, I want this, I want this, I want this. And he's saying, saying, not your will. I don't care what you want. And so the Spirit of God is there for this very specific purpose. Very specific purpose purpose but the self same spirit maketh intercession for us I want you to place this intercession remember on Wednesday night for those of you who are here I talked about how, how Peter placed this thing he said David didn't ascend he saw this on the earth I'm going to place this for you The Spirit, likewise, helps our infirmities because we don't know how to pray. So the Spirit makes intercession in us. The Spirit is not making intercession. This is, it's not talking about the Spirit of God going to the Father sitting on the throne and interceding to the Father on our behalf. Oh no, that's not it at all. It's exactly the opposite of that. That the Spirit of God is coming down into our vessels and interceding with us that we will obey the will of God. Come on, somebody. 
It's not, we got it all backwards. We think if we pray in tongues, then we can get God's attention. The Spirit will run up to heaven and tell the Father what it is that we want, and then it will make it happen because we're praying in a high-power, high-octane sports car. When in fact, this Scripture is saying the opposite. The Spirit is going to descend because we don't know how to pray. Because in and of myself, I can be a good man, I can be a godly man, I can love the Lord with all of my heart, but I am still full of flesh. Amen. I still have desire. To, to desire is, is within us, all of us, to will. That never goes away. And so I don't need the Spirit going up and telling God what I need. I need the Spirit coming down and telling me what God wants. Inspiring me to ask of God things that God wants me to ask Him for. You hearing it? Totally different. This isn't me praying in tongues, getting God's attention. This is God moving within me, pressuring within me, getting me to respond to the prompting of His Spirit within my life. Blows my mind. It blows my mind because my whole life now, more recently, and I don't remember who brought this up. It may, it may have been Roderick. We were talking, and, and uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just, we're home folk here. I don't know where I'm sitting at on all the tongue stuff. I, I'm just kind of like, yeah. You know, I, I believe God can do that. I'm just struggling to see his need to do that in a bunch of English-speaking people. I, and I'm not mocking. I'm just saying I, I'm struggling. Like, why would God need to get up here and speak in tongues? You all speak English. I'm speaking to you. You can hear. You can read. I, so, uh, so I'm, I'm struggling, and, I, and I'm going back and forth, and this passage has always come up in my mind. Yeah, but that scripture says that the Spirit makes groanings and utterances that we cannot utter. Hold on a second. Is this about me, or is this about Him? Is this about me getting to God what my will wants, or is this about God getting to me what His will is? It, it totally reverse course. And has become so clear in my mind what God is trying to do here. The intercession is being made within me. The intercession is being done by the Spirit of God. I mean, think about, think about the mercy of God. That God would, would slap you upside the head sometimes and say, What in the world are you doing? We can get so off. And so wrong in our thoughts. And so confused about the things that we believe are so right. And God would still by His Spirit make intercession within me. And draw me into His presence. Into right standing with His will. Why would He do this? Why would He even take the time to deal with stubborn me? And the whole time I'm thinking this scripture is about me getting God to do what I want Him to do. Or the Spirit somehow praying things that, that you know, I don't even know are being prayed. So I go out in a trance and, and I begin to speak in tongues as though the Spirit's praying things for my body that I don't... Anybody ever heard that? I've heard that a lot of times. I'm laying in the floor and, and I'm not mocking. I'm laying in the floor and I'm speaking in tongues. And somehow something's happening within me because the Spirit's praying to God. I mean, I don't even believe that anyway. How could we believe that? How could we possibly think that's what it's about? It's so so the, then the last part of this, I want you to focus. But the Spirit itself makes intercession within us. With groanings, same word, pressure. What, what was the pressure about all the way through this chapter? Every time we're talking about groaning, we're talking about what? The manifestation of the sons of God, the delivering process of the, of the birthing of the children of God. This same word carries that connotation right here. The Spirit itself makes intercession for us, within us, with groanings. I don't even need to stretch this text at all. Which cannot be uttered. Can I give you another word? Unutterable. 
Do you know how much audio that is? Zero. The Spirit is not working an audible thing here. Now, I'm not suggesting that God can't. I'm not suggesting God won't. But what I am suggesting is this passage has nothing to do with speaking in tongues. This is about the Spirit of God working within me, pressuring me till I might be birthed and delivered as a son of God. Creating pressure and longing and groaning and desire, the longing to be delivered. This is exactly that that adoption would happen in my life. That longing to be delivered from the body of sin that I'm in. That same longing is what the Spirit of God is doing inside of me. It's trying to produce in me the manifestation that God wants to see. And we thought the manifestation God wants to see is running around the church. Pentecost has, not this church, because we've long left that long ago, but Pentecost has thought the manifestation God wants to see is speaking in tongues and rolling in the floor. And boy, we really had revival tonight. I've heard all of this stuff. And, and yet we walk out the back doors and we never are manifested into the children of God. We never become the, the people God wants us to be. We never hear His voice. All we've done is talk, 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 talk. Supposing that some language that I've got in my mouth, whether it's heavenly or not, can penetrate through the heavens and get God to respond to me. When I've got a belief and it's becoming stronger and stronger that every single work of God is initiated by Him toward me. It's never initiated by me toward Him. Pastor quoted today, draw nigh unto me and I will draw nigh unto you. But it says, cleanse your hands, O ye sinners. What is that even, how does that even start? How can we cleanse ourselves by taking heed to the word of God? God's motion always starts toward us. Even the promise of draw nigh unto me starts with God speaking to us. It's always God who initiates toward us this very thought. This very idea of sonship, of being a daughter, it's not even possible. Look at verse 27. This, is, this ties it all up. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession within us with groanings which cannot be uttered. This is so beautiful. If you have other translations, which I don't have anything up here with me right now, but man, this will just really tie it together for you. Because he that searcheth the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. And because of this, he's making intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The promise is this. It just, it just exactly reiterates everything I just said. The Spirit that is working within our minds and our thoughts and our weaknesses is the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God already knows what He wants to accomplish within us. So this is why He can make intercession within us. Because He's trying to prompt us toward what He's trying to accomplish in us. It's not hard because it's not another person. If you want to see a beautiful picture of the oneness, the unity of God, we don't have a third person trying to talk to a second person to go get them to talk to the first person. But what we see pretty clearly here is the apostle saying, listen, this works really good that the Spirit can make intercession within you because it's the exact same Spirit of God that knows your heart that is working within your mind to shape you according to the will of God. And I saw this beautiful picture. I see now that the Spirit of God is working and prompting me and inspiring me to ask God for things that He once formed in me. I think the question is, we're over here trying to figure out how to pray the right prayers in our own. And I think the question is, are we willing 
to say to the Lord, Jesus, help me to pray. Help me to ask God according to your will. Now we do this. We say, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. But I heard this in my spirit this week. And I'm believing it was the spirit of God prompting me to this. That there are many people sitting here today that have been afraid to ask God's will be done in issues for concern of the outcome. We're over here trying to be all spiritual. Over here trying to figure out all the stuff. And we've got all the, the right and we believe this and we do this this way and we know this. And, and yet we're not even willing to allow the Spirit of God to prompt us to ask of Him what He wants done in our lives for fear that it might affect what we're doing. I've been guilty of this. I remember growing up and hearing, I literally, I don't know who said it. I heard it multiple times as a kid. It was not my father. I would, he would never say this. Even then, even in what we believed. But you should never pray the will of God. Because what if the will of God is different than what you want? I literally heard this as a child. Somebody's sick and we just say, Lord, let your will be done. Well, God might kill them. They might die. And you think somehow that you speaking against the will of God is going to change his mind. Well, it is. It's going to change it according to you. Because now God is no longer pleased by you because you will not hear his voice and you will not hearken and you will not respond to his prompting within my... So my daily duty is to respond to his spirit prompting me to ask of him what he's trying to form in me. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Where do you think the desire is coming from? You've got two options. The Spirit of God or your spirit. I'm going to tell you this. The things that we are asking in the Spirit of God, we don't have to worry about it. They are always going to come to pass. The things, on the other hand, that we're asking out of our own spirit, I've noticed most of them are going unanswered. Come on, somebody. So, God is prompting me, drawing me towards His presence. Here's, I'm going to share this with you. I wasn't sure if I was going to, but I'm going to share this with you, and then uh, I'll be done. But here's what I see. I believe these words came into my mind, and, it, and I have not heard this phrase in probably 20-something years. And Dad will know exactly where it came from. And he said it today. The house that God built. God's trying to build a house. God is building a temple. And it's done by His design. It can't be done by your design. It has to be by his design. And as I was thinking about this this week, the Lord reminded me, and then instantly I remembered afterwards, I remembered Mark Hamby using these exact same words. So can I give you this one example? God's trying to build his house. He's trying to build his temple, which you are. God's trying to work within us to his pleasure David, sitting in his chair, and he slides his feet under his bearskin rug, and he leans back against his lion skin coat, and he looks at the cedar-lined walls of his house and sees Goliath's sword hanging. And the royal fine tapestry linens blowing in the breeze. As he looks out the window, 
and he sees the flaps of the old tent of the tabernacle blowing in the breeze. And he looks around and he says, God's been good to me. God's kept me with a lion. God's protected me against the lion and the bear. And God kept me when I slew Goliath. And I sit here in all of this and God's dwelling in a house out there. I got a beautiful cedar-lined home and God's dwelling in a tent. And he says, I'm going to build God a house. It's not right that God's been so good to me. How could I not do something for him? I have all of this wealth. He says, I'm going to build God a house. And so he calls Nathan to him, the prophet. And he says, Nathan, I am going to build God a house. It's not right that I have all this beauty and God's been with me. He clearly is on my side. Look at my triumphs. I'm going to build God a house. And Nathan says, do what is in your heart. Absolutely build God a house. Do it. And when Nathan goes back home, God challenges Nathan and he says, I want you to go back to David. And I want you to say something to him. It's in 1 Chronicles chapter 17 and verse 4. Go and tell David thy servant, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not build me a house to dwell in. He goes on to say, I, in all the days I have... I have worked with Israel. I've been, a, I've been a, the God of Israel. I've, I've watched over Israel. I've never one time asked you to build me a house. I never, never suggested that I was unhappy dwelling in a tent. Look at verse 11. God speaking, it shall come to pass when thy days are expired that thou must go to be with thy fathers that I will raise up a seed after thee which shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. And I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And I will not take my mercy away from him, as I took it from him that was before thee. I was thinking about the birthing of the idea that you could be a child of God. It didn't start with you. It's not even possible for you to believe. When you step back and think about it, in fact, David more or less does this multiple times, when he just says, what is man that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that thou would, would visit him? I, I can't even imagine that you would have anything to do with me. This thought that we could become sons of God does not originate in us by us. It is because of the prompting of God's spirit within you that there is even an idea that you could be his child. This is why I, I, I'm emphasizing this, and I think there's a lot of areas that we could go here, but I'm emphasizing this because I think there is nothing more that God primarily wants to see happen in your life, but that you would respond to the prompting of Him, His drawing, and calling you to sonship and daughterhood. Scripture says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9 and 10, it says, it says uh, Eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love Him. But the Spirit revealeth them. There are revelations and God thoughts that He wants to put inside of you that draw you out into His presence, that call you to be a part of His kingdom. And it doesn't start with you. It starts with Him. He sent forth His Spirit 
into our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Well, I just one day decided I was going to be a child of God. No, you didn't. Well, I just figured out some things I'm going to do for the kingdom of God. No, you're not. You're not. It's not possible. It is the Spirit of God that is moving within us. You know, I want to finish by saying this. There's this belief system that, that we can become more important in the kingdom. But I want to affirm for you something. You will never be anything more than a son or a daughter. That's the only role you can be. You're not going to be the chosen son. If you try to be the chosen son, you're going to be the reprobate. We are to manifest God's presence within our homes. Then we are to manifest God's presence as sons and daughters within our local body. And then that local body can maybe minister in ways to the community. You don't have the ability to navigate from your home to the community without the local body. Doesn't exist. It's not inspired by God. Well, I got a real vision for all the children of the world. It's not by God if you don't have a vision for all the children of Echoes of Calvary first. How do I know that? Because God's function is always about family. God always works with sons and daughters and fathers and mothers. That's how God works. So I'm going to go over here and I'm going to do this. No, you're not going to do anything. You're going to have to get into alignment with the will of God, which is always drawing us and prompting us and groaning within us. You say, well, I'm so discontent and I'm so unhappy with where I'm at. It's because you're kicking against the pricks. All we have to do is say, Lord, I just want to manifest as a son or a daughter as you want me in the kingdom. That's all I want. What, what do you, how, how can I be a service to your kingdom? I want you to clean the bathrooms. No, I'm too good to clean the bathrooms. Well, then you can't be a part of my kingdom. I want you to minister within your home. I want you to be a blessing to the, to the people in the, in the body. I want, uh, that's, that's what I want because that's where it starts. That's where it starts and that's where it remains. The family. The family structure. So this is the emphasis of Romans chapter 8. Not tongues. Manifestation of sons. Manifestation of daughters and the prompting of His Spirit. Amen?